like to give everybody out there listening a very warm White Cat welcome as you're tuned in to the White Cat Outdoors podcast. So as we're sitting here listening, before we get into this, obviously you got White here bringing you into the, at this episode, but before we say anything, you know, we're, we just came in jamming to that intro. I'm sure all of you were jamming to doing some sweet head banging. Air guitar slung way down low. Oh, way down low. But it just dawned on me that we never gave credit to the person that did that intro for us. He wrote it, performed it, we recorded it all to the credit of him and it's my brother-in-law Sam McCotry. So whatever you're doing, driving in the car, you're at work, sitting at home, whatever, stop what you're doing and give Sam a big round of applause. We'll we'll give you a second here. Yep, everyone. Thank, Thank you, Sam. Yep, thanks a lot, Sam. Thank you, Sam, we love it. Appreciate it. Yep. You're you're great, buddy. We love you. Um so right, I guess we're uh, we're ready for it now, are, yeah, are we? Look, we ready? Who do we got at the table yeah. tonight? Uh sitting over here to my left, we got our our buddy Luke. He hasn't been on in a few episodes, so how's it going, buddy? Oh, it's going good. Feels to be feels good to be back rather. Yeah, I bet it does. And uh over here to my right, we got Nick. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And then we got the man of the hour. We're doing something a little bit different this week. We're not focusing on one specific like outdoor topic or something like that we're doing we're, we're going to call it a host hot seat and we want you guys to get to know who we are and you know what we do other than get outside what gets us outside and so every, once a month here for the next few months we're going to do you know tonight we're doing our big bad boy tommy hey guys great to be here glad to be on the show it's going to be a good one. I can tell already. Yeah, I can tell too. So yeah, that's what we're going to do for the host hot seat. You know, the next couple months, you guys are going to get to really know us with a podcast apiece and, you know, get to know us a little bit better. So those of you that don't know us feel like we're best buds. That's exactly right. So Tommy, why don't you uh, jump right in and let us know, you know, where it all started with the old Tommy the cat getting outdoors. Where did it all start? Can you think back, like when was the first time you either picked up a fishing pole or walked out into the woods with your mentor hunt or whatever like can you can you recall that first outdoor experience so as far as fishing goes I can't even recall honestly when I started fishing I have pictures of me sitting on my dad's lap on the dock in our pond in the backyard that I don't even remember you know that specific time so that just goes to show you how long ago that started I I know I was about two years old when my dad would take me out there, and I'd just sit on his lap while he fished. But you're my, teaching him what to do. I know. Yeah, probably. You know, I'm I'm good like that. But no, my first big outdoor experience that really clicks in my mind is going up to the climber property with my dad when I was I started going up there when I was five years old. Me and him, it was a tradition. We'd go up the Saturday before Thanksgiving. That's the New York rifle. Or back then, it was actually shotgun season it was their opening day of gun season the Saturday before Thanksgiving and me and my dad we'd go up together and spend the day up there deer hunting and I was eight years old when I watched him harvest my his first doe and I was shaking like a leaf I was 10 times more excited than he was I was just that's that's when I was hooked when it comes to hunting and my first year was two years after that. It was the first year they started the mentor hunt. I was 10 years old. That one was in PA. That, yeah, that was in PA. And 10 years old, my dad took me out. We were sitting together, and I shot my first buck. 
the very first time I ever went out in the woods with a gun. It was a little three-point out at my Uncle John's property. Dominant, though. Very dominant. I think he was probably six and a half, seven years old, you know. On his downhill side? Yeah, he was definitely on his downhill side. Yeah. But... <laughs> little side story. That was also my first trip into the woods, because I mean, me and Tom were pretty close in age. And uh, me and my grandfather were hunting just a couple hundred yards away from Tom. And that was, like I said, my first experience. And I remember dropping my glove on my way up the ladder into the tripod me and my grandpa were in. And I let my grandpa know, oh, grandpa, I just dropped my glove. It's down at the bottom of the tree. And he said, well, we'll get it at dark. And that's how my first hunt started. And I didn't see a single deer all day. I think one of, <laughs> one of my first hunts I went out with uh, dad, I kind of got bored and picked up the rattle bag and asked him if I could rattle a couple bucks in and just as if it were that easy you just oh yeah you just hammered it as soon as you you use this they come in oh yeah i was just getting bored and antsy so he handed me the rattle bag and i started smacking it around and didn't i drop it right out of the tree stand smack the ladder on the way down i'm sure it hit every single rung on the way down yeah that's always how it. that's a real natural rattling sound though the sound of metal on antler oh it makes the most noise and uh i'll I'll tell you kind of like nick's story i don't think we saw a thing that day which is funny because Luke, being the least into hunting out of all of us at the table, that kid's had more opportunities at good bucks than anyone in like the three times he's ever stepped foot in the woods. Oh yeah, I've I've had nine points at twenty yards broadside. Split brows. The one yeah. was literally like and a nine point split brow. We had uh, it had like a kicker, like a six inch kicker, sh- like straight out the side, like just a really unique looking buck and uh, trail cam pictures of it and everything, but. Like Tom was saying, he was shaking when my dad shot a buck. Like, I don't know, just it didn't really get me going like the way fishing does. It was just, I don't know, I never could get as amped up as these guys about it. Speaking of getting amped up, when I was, you know, mentor hunting before I was 12, turkey hunting with my dad, I used to get so excited sitting in the woods, like listening to gobbles, (laughs) that I would actually, I'd throw up in the morning. There were several weeks in a row or seasons when we were little that that was if birds started gobbling, Tom was throwing up. That's how that's how you know you're doing it right. (laughs) Yeah, so that's just a little thing to show how pumped up. But you still get like that, like when a four point walks out that you can't even shoot because it's illegal in PA, and your knees are clapping. Oh yeah, he's going nuts. I filmed for Tom one year. Actually, I got my buck real early in the morning, and I went and sat in the tree with Tom and videotaped. And literally, we had that exact scenario. It was like a four-point come out and totally not legal. Guns still leaning up in the shack and just shaking like crazy. I just I can't help it. It just fires me right up. But if it doesn't get you excited, then honestly, what's the point of being out there? Yeah, I exactly. totally agree. I'm just go buy my meat at the market if that's all it's about. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I feel. You know, if something gets you excited, you know, wax him. That's what I'm saying. But... um. That's as far as hunting goes, fishing. I've been going out on the boat with my grandpa. We'd go out there and slam perch on a Saturday morning. It'd be me, my two brothers, my dad, and my grandpa. The limit's 30 per person, and we'd have our limit by 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it, it doesn't take long when you're pulling them up three at a time. You drop your rod down 10 times, and you're done fishing. So, Well, yeah, my grandpa's retired he has been for a while so that's kind of his summer deal is every day that i mean lake erie it's a little bit tough because the weather you get a north wind which we often do you got some pretty serious waves but any day that it's calm 
my grandpa's out there, whether it be perch fishing or walleye fishing, he's out there every single day. And still to this day, that's how he is. But that's kind of... I don't, I don't know anyone that knows Lake Erie better than Grandpa does. Where no. the fish are, where they're going to be the next day. and No, I mean, there's insane. been times where I'd go fishing with them, you know, a couple days in a row, and we'd go out to the first, the same spot two days in a row, catch our limit, and next time we're going out, we're going to a different spot. I'm like, Grandpa, we just hammered them here the past two days. They're not there anymore. And we'd go to a different spot and hammer them again i i've recalled a couple times too we'd be uh we'd be out on the boat and the charter captains would be radioing around hey who's who's catching stuff uh we're a little slow over here hey we're slow here too and we're on our way back to the marina with 15 16 uh walleye in the cooler well grandpa used to actually supply the local club for their uh company fish fry every year they do a fish fry in the summer for their uh, employees and the members of the club and they would send out a charter with a bunch of the members, and the charter couldn't keep up with the numbers, so they sent Grandpa out, and he'd go and get the limit of walleye so they had fish for their fish fry. That's funny. But another thing... Um, Got to swig that Jenny yeah. beer. Tommy's rocking a 22-ounce uh, Jenny beer. No, I think it's a pounder. No, it's Tom, not that a, is not, it's a, not pounder. a pounder. It said pounder on the cooler. It does not say pounder. I promise you it's a 22-ounce, or maybe even 24 Maybe it's a two-pounder. I'm sure it says it on the in, side. In honor of the I, host hot seat, Tom's over here. With his well, I did say, I texted can. Nick the other day when we were talking about this. I was like, and you guys, whoever listened to, I think it was the Hunter Klobuchar, the Fish Gods episode. I don't know if you noticed, but Tom got pretty tuned in at the end of that episode. So I was really hoping that he would get tuned in for this one since he's in the hot seat. And he's rocking 22-ounce Jenny's. Got a little bit of Jaeger over there. We got all kinds of keystones in the fridge. So Tommy's going to have a night tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Actually, I kind of lost track of where I was going on that story. <laughs> Getting um, out of hand already. We talked about you know where you started. And let's get into maybe your highlights of your career as an outdoorsman. Yeah, we'll start... Uh... How about, before we do highlights, oh. tell us, you know, like, what do you do, Tom? Like, you're, going, you're in school. Yeah, out, outside of being outside, outside, you know? I like that. <laughs> wow. Get outside of the outside. So when I'm outside not outside, box, thinking inside the box. When yeah. I'm inside, what gets me inside is hitting the books. No, actually, I, I hate studying, but it's just one of those things you got to do. Um, in, right now, I'm in my final semester at Edinburgh University. Atta boy, Tommy. Yep. Um, 4.0? No, not actually. It's like a three point oh one. I brought it way up. Any um, collegiate activities that you're a part of? Yes, and it's something I'm rather proud of. <laughs> Tom is a collegiate athlete. I I wouldn't call it that, but yeah, um, I'm on the club borough baseball team. Hashtag borough baseball. Check us out on Twitter. It, it's a good time. Um, I mean, you guys travel down to Florida and play. Oh with yeah, the big we go down to Florida. Though, so, I mean, it's, yeah. it's for a spring break. Thing. Yeah, it's definitely legitimate. I mean, we're playing other universities. It's it's not like some beer league slow pitch softball. It's definitely don't knock on beer league softball. I'm a big fan and athlete myself in the beer softball league. <laughs> athlete, athlete. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely into the slow pitch softball too. But there's something about baseball, but. Something about a ninety mile an hour ball getting chucked right across your chest that just just it fires, fires you up. up. But no, I never played. Ba- I Thanks. played baseball when I was like ten years old till I was like thirteen years old. That prepares you for college ball. Yeah, and then I got big into trap shooting. Um, I did that all through high school. Big trap guy. Huge, Huge trap guy. Biggest. 
Uh, had a lot of fun with that. Went to college. Did you say a wad of fun? I said a lot of, oh. uh, get it, wad? You know, like <laughs> oh, oh, shotguns, wad. got like a, a shotgun wad, wad in the shell. That's a solid it? pun. You get it? Uh, that was a good one. But no, so I did that <laughs> all the way till college. Started going to college for criminal justice. And it was my junior year of college where I decided, actually backtracked a little bit, we started playing slow pitch softball. And I was I was Way loving it. Way to go to your roots, buddy. Yeah, I was I was loving it. And I was like, God, I miss I miss being on the old baseball field. And I believe they call it a diamond. Baseball diamond, if you will. And that's when I found out Edinburgh actually had a club baseball team. So started playing, loved it, loved the guys I'm playing with. I'm in my final semester there, graduating here in May. And hopefully the plan is get into the police academy. I mean, there's a lot of hoops I got to jump through. Sounds like a lot of hoopla to me. SpongeBob reference, <laughs> classic. But uh, aside from school, I mean, school really takes up pretty much. Yeah, that's all pretty my... much a full time job. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk about my job, I am. Uh... Yeah. Why don't you well, give us the rundown? You're pretty high up in the ranks where you're at working. Wise, as aren't far you? as student employment goes, I I am capped out. Like I can't. He's the top of the food chain. Like, there, there's no more promotions from your position. No, I physically wow. can't get any higher. That's insane. How? And, how? How high were you like when you started? Like how far did you advance? So when I started, I was just a run of the mill student employee, you know, making seven twenty five an hour, doing the grunt work, doing string trimming, shoveling snow, doing office moves, you know, bottom of the barrel type stuff. And after three years of working there, I finally got promoted to the student foreman position. Who uh, who gave you that title? I wrote it up myself. Came up with the job description and the pay and benefits, and it went through, and I couldn't feel more. So, blessed. like, what are you doing now? That now that you got your big promotion. So now I'm making seven twenty-five an hour, and I'm shoveling snow in the winter time. I was string trimming throughout the summer, and when I'm not doing string trimming, shoveling snow, yard work, I'm helping with office moves, event setups, and stuff. It's it's really great. It sounds like you really, really moved up in the world. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. Just, I mean, just in three short years, you've proved yourself and moved up the ranks that way. And, yeah. And that looks good on a resume, too. You can add student foreman on that. And Absolutely. That's, that's a huge, huge deal for uh, companies, when you're, especially. I'm sure the state police are going to love academy. that. Oh, yeah. uh, how could they not? Is there any, uh, you know, like sayings or anything you guys go by as student workers and anything you came up with as a student foreman to pass on to the lower guys coming up through the ranks? Yeah, so... Me and my, he was my right-hand man, Mike Rez. He's we, a man. He is a man. Great guy. Couldn't, couldn't have asked for a better assistant. And to quote Michael Scott, to every, well, this isn't exactly what Michael Scott said, but it's We're similar. Paraphrasing. A little bit. For every great student foreman, there's assistant to the student foreman, and I have chosen the best. And that was Mike, in a nutshell. He was... He was great. Couldn't ask for a better student foreman. He was awesome. But no, we uh, we took this picture. It was us leaning up against a tree that we planted. It's one of the sexiest pictures I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, actually, we weren't leaning up against. It. I think we were laying down next to it. Yes, you and were laying down. There might have been a steel FS90 weed whacker string trimmer in the picture. And on the picture, we wrote a famous quote. 
that goes, you can't just go through life. You have to grow through life. Wow. And we printed that out and we gave it to my boss. And that's deep. As far as I know, it's still in his office. It's definitely still in his office. I can say 100% it's still there. Frank works there. He's actually the one that got me this great career path that I've journeyed on this past three years. He's my cousin, if you guys haven't known that. But, yeah, uh, I think we did mention that in the past. Yeah. In case this is their first episode, first of all, what are you doing? But uh, go back, listen to the earlier ones, and you'll you'll catch up. So, yeah, Frank, he's my cousin. He's a, he's an operator at Edinburgh University. And at the time I started, I think you were, just, you were a laborer, correct? Yes, I was. And he got me this – well, he didn't get me this job, but he gave me the info, helped me. You if know, it weren't for me, you would Gave not. a good word to the boss and uh, – got me in there but uh outside of being a student foreman going to school playing baseball turning a lathe a little bit haven't you i have in your day? turned a little i have turned some parts probably more parts than i'd like to turn on a lathe because it was the same exact part for three months straight but nonetheless i have experience in a metal shop i'm aws certified when it comes to welding oh man so it's I exciting can, stuff. Yeah, I can I can lay a bead. I can turn parts on a lathe. I've operated a mill. You sound like an all around handyman. Yeah, you could say that. Actually, I, how do you find time to get outside, Tom? I tell you what, believe it or not, I plan my school schedule around getting outside. What do you mean by that? So, like your school, do you, you obviously you have flexibility. So, how are you setting up your schedule to make the outdoors? Second or priority when it no, it's comes absolutely to I, I priority. Say, main priority. I, I didn't know yeah. you were flexible, Tom. Are you like in gymnastics also, or like? I can actually like? almost do a full split. Really? That's yeah. impressive. We'll have to we'll have to test that out sometime. Well, I'm wearing Tom, jeans. Tom, just here. do it right now. We I'm, can just clap and say, "Oh my God, you did it!" I'm wearing jeans, or I would. I just don't want to embarrass you guys. That's it. <laughs> but uh, where what were we talking about? We were talking about you were how you adjust to take your a drink st- of Jaeger. I was gonna say, how's how that, are you, uh, Jenny Beer Treat? Yeah. We got the spotlight on Tom. He's getting a little nervous tonight. But uh, we were talking about how you set up your schedule to right. make yep. the outdoors and hunting your priority. So um, I, I'm i not a huge morning guy when it comes to huge. school and work. But uh, when it comes to hunting, yeah, get me up bright and early. But I grind it out at 6 in the morning every morning at work so I can work before class. I work 6 to 9 in the morning every day to get my 15 hours in where most people would rather work at 4 in the afternoon not have to wake up early. But you're not in the deer woods. Exactly. So I work I work 6 to 9 in the morning, and I schedule my classes, bam, 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 Monday through Friday, right in a row. So I'm usually done every day by 1 or 2 o'clock. So I can head straight from class and get right out into the deer woods. And I also noticed... Uh... You you stay up pretty late for waking up at four in the morning to get to yeah, work. Yeah, we have club baseball practice every night at uh, nine o'clock in the dome. That goes till about eleven. And then you're even sometimes after that doing homework so that your weekends are cleared up. Cause yeah, I don't do enough. homework on the weekends. That weekends for, for the birds. The yeah, it's for up the, the hood. Birds and so bees. Way 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 back when I used to go to college. I'd set up my schedule so I didn't even have anything on Fridays. Like I would Monday through Thursday was my only classes, and I'd head to camp every weekend during bow season. Mm-hmm. And same thing, I refuse to do homework if it's not during Monday through Thursday. Yeah, homework, even during the week, I'll 
if, you know, you know. You're but, gonna complain the whole time. Yeah, I'm not gonna enjoy doing the homework, <laughs> but I'll do it and I'll bust it out so I don't have to do it on the weekends because my weekends that's that's when I get outside. Spe- speaking of uh, the weekends and you having time, it's a little little something to look forward to. Uh, the YouTube channel we've talked about a few times is uh, gonna be underway and. Uh, well, the YouTube channel is up. The YouTube it, channel is up, and, and we got podcast some podcasts. The but, video So side. check him out on YouTube, White Cat Outdoors Podcast. P-A-W-D-C-A-S-T. Thank you. So what else is coming to the YouTube channel, Luke? We uh, actually, uh, as a group here, invested in a uh, pretty sweet camera, and we're going to start filming some hunts, some trapping trips, uh, fishing trips, and we're going to try and cover a whole variety of topics and everything and honestly out of the four of us none of us know anything actually about videography or editing literally nothing um out of my many traits videography is not one of them that is not one of them (laughs) i've watched it is not one a few youtube videos and uh i think i'm i'm getting pretty good and we actually we knew nothing about podcasting either and look how far we've come so we're we're, we're recording seven right now it's actually we're recording like number nine but we've actually lost a few so (laughs) it was a learning curve so we're not that good yet because a couple got deleted but anyways um as none of us have any clue how to video or edit or anything tom is actually gonna come out and film me and a couple buddies this weekend we're gonna hit a couple spots and try and do some fishing and get some footage and tips and tricks for you guys so stay tuned for that who knows i might even grab a rod and reel and get out there you he, know? He who might, knows he, he could has, be wild he has POV action POV. Tom, tom actually actually point I'm of view probably, frank oh, yeah i know you. that but out of all four of us like i get my license january 1st or even before every year and keep fish but i don't think any of you guys have got your fishing license yet? I did. Yeah, and do you know why I got my fishing license? Snake permit. Yeah, you have to have a fishing license. Have you snake got permit. your uh, oh, fishing I have... license since January first this year? Oh yeah, and I got my snake permit. That's the only reason I got my fishing license is so what? I could get my snake permit. When is snake hunting? Second weekend of June through the end of July. Oh, so that's not for a while. Yeah, right? we got time. Yeah, but I was there and figured why not? Yeah, because I was just getting a little excited because uh, my snake is almost done at the taxidermist, and boy, am I excited! going to look good speaking of uh videography and how none of us are huge fan of we actually uh we had some video taken uh nick was actually the guinea pig videographer first one to take the camera out and do some filming big zoom guy i am a big zoom guy and uh that was taken maybe about a month ago and yeah you're like wow that should have had a video posted but out of the four hours of film, I couldn't really get a 10-minute video out of it, so uh, we're just going to... But man, did we have fun. We we had a great time, caught a lot of fish, and just kind of... It's like if you got an uneasy stomach riding a roller coaster, that's kind of how it makes you feel watching the footage. It's like watching so, cops. Yeah, so we got to... <laughs> With the body cam. <laughs> yeah, we got to fine-tune that a little bit and get some better footage, so that's what we're did hoping Did you look for at the footage weekend. I took the other day, or... You just throw that right aside. Well, the footage that you took the other day, I uh, the only thing I caught was this tree branch twice because it was in an awful place where I was trying to cast. So we didn't really have anything the viewers would be. Quality no. angles, though? Oh, they were phenomenal. The angles were quality. The content was not. So yeah, you can't that, blame that on the so camera that guy. That was not the no. camera guy. The that camera was, guy makes the content. That is I, true. I don't think so. 
you saw all the editing Luke was doing. My that picture, of my buck, that thing had like eighteen extra tines. You, the camera guy oh, can make it happen with the video editing software. I also uh, acquired Photoshop, so stay tuned for that. Should be a good time. It, I, it, I caught a fish be. with four heads the other day. It's unreal. Nothing like you've ever seen before. So Tom, I think while we're get you while while we have you in the hot seat here, I want to hear about your extravaganza or your week that you had at the cabin that we built i think that's a great story of trapping because we haven't really covered much of your trapping skills but tell everybody a little bit about this cabin we got going on and your week-long stay at the old homestead boy so this was would have been december of 2018 i believe and first first year the cabin was up correct absolutely yeah and Boy, I don't remember what the dimensions... Who knows offhand the dimensions? 12 by 16. 12 That's by 16. Yep. 12... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was trying to swallow my beer. So, 12 by 16... Got, got you a little excited there. That equals, you know, some square feet. And <laughs> there's... We have these... Well, run them through when you walk in the door. That's Take them to mass. the kitchen, you know, the dining room, bedroom, around to the bathroom. You know, give them like... A, a full tour, if you will. Okay, so you walk up onto our nice front porch, open the door. Immediately to the right, we have our wood stove. Well, when you walk in, or I mean, it's are you just standing on like plywood or dirt floor or something? <laughs> plywood? No, this baby has got tile floors in the mudroom. Like, wait, like, like the grounded snap, and like everything. The no, no, real tile. Real. Wow. Tile. You guys went all out. Courtesy of Frank's dad. Yeah, he he donated a lot for that. Yeah, so... So is that like just the foyer and then it just goes to dirt after that? No. After that, we have solid hardwood oak. White oak. White oak wood floors planed by your host, Frank Myers himself. Mm-hmm. Stained by your other host, Nick himself. And uh, Hank helped me a lot on that. Our Basset Hound Hank, yeah. He's, he's quite the worker. White Cat Outdoors mascot. It's weird that our mascot's a dog, but, you know... He is what he is. I was going to say, most mascots are creature-like. They're not not people. Yeah, but like we're white cat. You would think cat, but we have... Bobcat. Cat, bobcat, white... Yeah, Yeah, but I don't really want to have But we have Hank, who's a dog. I don't think Hank knows he's a dog. Maybe he identifies as a cat. You never know. I don't think Hank really knows what's going on, but (laughs) we love him. As my dad would say, uh, his elevator doesn't quite reach the top floor. (laughs) Hank's a smart guy. Anyway, so... You got your our foyer with our fireplace, and that goes right into the kitchen. Kitchen is actually on top of the fireplace. That's where we do all of our cooking, and our delicious cuisine that we prepare on that. Absolutely, I mean we're talking tenderloin stew, heart stew, canned soup. You name it. That, that's about I think we've it. Like reheated <laughs> some pizza or chicken wings from the bar up there. Excellent cuisine. Then we got. Our dining room, which is a, I don't know, it was it's like a, a rope spool. Yeah. That's our table. You just flip it up on end. We got our chairs. Then behind that, we have our bedroom where we just push the table closer <laughs> to the door, make a little extra room, unfold the cots, and, and you're good to go. Happens. But all this wood was basically donated we had to buy you know a couple two by fours I wouldn't, it, was, uh, it was donated but it wasn't without work yeah so my grandpa had this uh it was old pavilion 
out behind his, his house. It was like a shelter to keep his cows and horses out of the harsh weather and whatnot. And I guess he got tired of looking at it out his back window. And he said, you know, if you guys tear all that down, you can have all the wood for it. So like, perfect. We'll get right on it. Well, my granddad, he decided he was going to you know help out. And he decided he was going to take all the walls off. He's very first day. He he's the type of guy that tells you that he'll help you do something, and you tell him that you'll meet him at six o'clock the next day. So you come at five thirty the next day, thinking you'll be early, and he's pretty much done with it. So yeah, he, he does. He likes to get on top of no things. No messing around. But he decided he was gonna take all the walls off this, which was basically all the support, and then sent us up there on the roof to take all the plywood and shingles and everything off. Mid July, so it was in the nineties after work every day. Yeah, and it was uh it was a little rickety, you know, stiff wind would come through and you'd shift quite a bit with them posts swaying in the wind, but we got all the wood down and my uncle Norm who was on the Bait Buddy podcast. Check out Norm Myers and Uncle Norm's Bait Buddy on Facebook. Get yourself some Bait Buddy as the uh, warmer weathers come in. Get out there fishing with Uncle Norm's Bait Buddy. He donated some plywood. And Frank's dad donated his time and knowledge and, boy, I don't know how many spools of nails and yeah, a lot because, you know, I'd never really worked a nail gun before, so I was missing quite a few times. But anyway, it was me, Frank, his dad, Nick, and our dad went up there for several weekends in a row putting this bad boy together, and that's the uh, the official... White Cat Outdoors headquarters out of... You you uh, mentioned, like, the foyer and the stove and the kitchen. And uh, where, where, what's your bathroom like? You got, like, a master bath or... What, yeah, I would on? consider it a master bath. Well, it's a half bath. There's no shower. It's a half master. Yeah, like because... Half, half master bath. Perfect. So, there's no plumbing or electricity or, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, our light system is just, you know, battery-powered lights. LED. Up to the ceiling. LED. Pop lights. Yep, but uh, our bathroom, it's out back. We got a little trail. Way away from where you can see it. Yeah, Nick had this great idea in the middle of summer that he was going to put the bathroom in, and with all the leaves, you couldn't see it from camp. Well, come fall, when we When you up, use it the most. Yeah, when we're up there every weekend deer hunting and all the leaves are gone, it's like maybe 30 yards behind the cabin. So, <laughs> plain sight. Luckily, there's not a window facing that direction, but if you're outside... You can see it clear as day. Yeah, but I spent a lot of time. I even tiled the bathroom. Yep. Bathroom's got tile floor. It's uh, The uh, toilet is a hole dug in the ground. I dug with, that myself. Yeah, he really went all out digging in about two feet deep. <laughs> <laughs> it was start, The soil was getting pretty hard, and beer was on my mind. That, so, was, that was towards the end of the day, that project was. Yeah, so and then there's a nice wooden box with a hole in the top of that and a toilet seat that you sit on. I mean, state-of-the-art. If I don't know, like... Cleaning lady comes by usually once or twice a week, gets that all cleaned up, ready for the next group to come through. If you're on, like... It would probably get a five-star, like, Yelp review if it was, like, a <laughs> bed, bed and breakfast type deal. Airbnb. Yeah, it would probably get five-star. We stars. honestly... We should get an inspector out there to see if we can 
uh, get it registered for the Airbnb website. To yeah, it'd be perfect because I mean, also you're, you have you have a cabin right, right on the slopes, pretty much. You can, that's that's my selling point every time somebody asks me about the cabin. You can see the slopes from the cabin, it's, and that I usually mean, gets people pretty fired up. Oh, yeah. I mean, so this place is just phenomenal. which that is true. You can see the slopes from the cabin. Now, all jokes aside, for what we have, it's it's a great little cabin. Keep you out of the harsh weather and. It's a, you know, it's a glorified a, tent to give it's the It's more than a glorified listeners. tent. Okay. I you mean, get, that's that's basically, I mean, there's no power, no nothing. It's keeps it's insulated. It's shingled. We it's got working really windows. Nice. Yeah. yeah, now we have working windows after I almost lost my thumb. That, and we had one window bust mid-January, which that was an interesting story. So my grandpa but, donated yeah. some windows uh, to the cabin, and this the retention spring, I guess, uh, I don't even know if that's a word. I think it's so, just tension spring. Tension spring. No uh, re. Yeah. There's, <laughs> a, there's a spring. There's a the spring that, you know, keeps the window up when you open it. Well, those were shot. But anyway, so I had put everybody on high alert. Don't use the windows unless you know how you're using them, especially my buddy Trevor. And so nobody was touching these windows. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Nick, whose dumbass touched the window that, first? That'd be me. That, <laughs> Mid mid evening, actually no, it was probably mid morning. By the time I got up there, yeah, it, was it was probably about two three in the morning. Two three in the morning, I got a little toasty because the stove keeps it nice and warm in there. And I decided about I was ninety degrees. I, I was gonna open up the window and push the window up, or no, open the window. So I had to drop the top down. Well, I lost control of it at two in the morning and <laughs> caught, caught my thumb. But find out later, it was my thumb that I caught in between the two windows. And there, it's an aluminum window. It's pretty stout. And I was complaining about. I, I think, think my, the windows glass, but I think the, the frame, frame around yeah. the windows <laughs> aluminum. Yeah, everybody. Just like aluminum is not very see-through. It'd make it's a very, very bad window. Very, is, that, is that opaque? Yeah. Wow, big words. It'll be papaya. No, so, I think I, I was complaining about my Could pinky that I cut up. Was that is that correct? I can't. Remember. I was complaining yeah, so about was one of my pinky. fingers that really hurt. We wake up the next morning and my thumb is like just covered in blood. My shirt's covered in blood. My sleeping bag, like. But my pinky's fine. Like I, <laughs> apparently it was my thumb that I caught in there. Were there any any beers involved in that? None. None. It was all whiskey. None. Oh, <laughs> dry cabin. No, no beer up there. Yeah, yeah whiskey only. But I, I just first thing out of Trevor's mouth. Hey, make sure you know what you're doing if you're going to touch those windows. It's like perfect. So I kind of ate my words there. But now that that little little stories out of the way, Tommy, back to you on your stay at the cabin so that's that's the cabin in a nutshell and i decided over winter break that i was going to go up there on this little trapping expo we got fox coyotes beavers raccoons muskrats fishers fishers not a coon they were jet black jet black not a coon um that's coming from our amish neighbor but <laughs> anyway <laughs> i I decided I was going to go up there and spend a week trapping over winter break. So, boy, I, I ran um, like a dozen fox and coyote traps, five or ten raccoon traps, half a dozen beaver traps. And day one, I caught a big old probably 52-pound beaver out of our beaver swamp. I caught a muskrat and I caught a raccoon. And so that was a pretty good first day. Now, so I heard you emphasize that there was a beaver swamp. The muskrats, are they, is that a separate muskrat swamp, or were they intruding on the beaver swamp? They were intruding the beaver swamp, believe it or not. Wow. 
You'd think they have a better perimeter set up so that they. You'd think the muskrats would, you know, ask permission before they just intrude on some beaver. You would think, but they just they don't. They're careless Those little rats. Buggers. Just take the beaver whenever they want it. They, I tell you, but you know, so that was day one, and I'm like, heck yeah, we're getting in it. And day two, we got about a foot and a half of snow, and from there on out, it pretty much just kept snowing and snowing and snowing. And One day it started raining. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't quit for four Some, months. Sometimes it felt like it was raining coming up. But uh, we, I caught one more beaver that week, but, I mean, I was fighting the snow the whole time, and I was up at the cabin for a full week. Pretty much, well, I, I had a couple visitors. My buddy Ben and Jordan showed up one time, and Nick and Frank showed up for the final weekend, and... Actually, backtrack midweek, I was going into town to get more supplies as far as food and whatnot, go out to the old S10, turn the key, nothing. I'm like, well, and it wasn't, sorry, I was not at the mic. Sorry, Brad. So (laughs) you said that you went to start up your truck. Now, it had been snowing and snowing and snowing. Were you parked at the driveway or where exactly did you have the S10? On the road, on the road, yeah. So did it get plowed in, Tom? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of plow trucks on by. And actually, I was up there trying to jumpstart the thing because I didn't know what was wrong with it. And did you ask the Amish neighbors if they would bring their horse out to jumpstart it? No, I didn't. But the uh, plow guy came up and told me I had to move my truck. And I said, well, you know, the thing is, uh, it won't start. And he said, well, if somebody hits it, then it's not our fault. I'm like, well, there's no no parking sign, so I'm legally parked on the side of the road. But anyway, he was not pleased. And so that was a whole deal. So I called my brother and my dad, and they came up with the generator, and we tried getting her going, and that didn't work. So AAA came the next day. So then I was without a vehicle. And so I was really isolated to just the cabin, the 12 by 16 with fireplace caught. And that was it. But I was pretty busy most of the days because I brought my 22. And in red squirrel seasons year-round, up in the great state of New York. So when I wasn't trapping, I was red squirrel hunting. And that was a good time. And finally, Nick and Frank came up and rescued me after a long week of fur bearing. I think Frank set some weasel traps, but they were unsuccessful. Yeah, they didn't quite pan out. But Almost had a fisher in one, but a weasel her- trap is not. traps. Thank you. But, Depends on the time of year. Um, what time of year was it? Heart of winter. Ermine season. It was ermine season. So he actually set ermine traps, not weasel traps. Yeah. But so up there, as far as trapping goes, like beaver trapping is out of this world. There's this beaver pond that's been, hasn't been touched for at least 30 years. So the beavers have, you know, quite the establishment set up there. You got a pretty nice home. And they were uh, pretty well uneducated as far as trapping goes until recently. And me and my brother started trapping there. Actually, my dad too. And we've had some fantastic success. Actually, if you go under Instagram at White Cat Outdoors, our main profile picture is me and the boys, Nick and Frank, holding a beaver that I caught on that week-long trapping expo. I forgot that was from that weekend. Yeah. That was... Was that... That was 
the start of White Cat, wasn't it? Yeah, that was that, the first that time. weekend we came up there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the start of White Cat because we posed for that picture laying in the or not we didn't pose laying there, but after we took the picture, we came back and let's said let's make White Cat official. So that Tom's Trapping Expo is, is what the reason made it all happen. There, there's, he's the reason we're sitting here right now, and that's why Tom has the first host hot seat. Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean it was a it was a thought. It was more of like a little joke type deal before that because but then that's when we got official with our instagram page i remember laying on our cots and following we'd look at like all the big names like real tree and stuff give them a follow you know all the big names that have you know thousands and thousands of followers we started following them and it's just been a growing process ever since it's been quite the learning curve but it's been real but been real, 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 real. But recently, staying on track. Actually, I got a lot of stuff going on in my mind right now. As far as like, well, this is all about you, Tom. Just stories let it all I want to cover. Because this, just tell us how you feel. This, this is wild stuff here, guys. Tom, this, just tell us who you are. Yeah, Tom, lay on the quit, couch quit. and talk about your feelings. Yeah. Well, so, lay down. my first Tom, buck. Tell us. We, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna you go. You don't have to explain with your hands. The listeners can't see it. Yeah, but when they have the cam- when you have the camera up, they're gonna want to see. So, we're gonna talk about some firsts. My first buck. I know I gave you a little rundown, um, but we're we're gonna give you the story. So, ten years old, mentor, rifle season, out there with my dad, on my uncle John's farm. Get up there. Bright and early. Actually, it was still dark when we got on stand. And so dark and early. Dark and early. Get on stand with my dad, and we're hunting a stand. They nicknamed the coon stand because there was this raccoon that freaked. I named it? No, they – good one. <laughs> I'm just nailing the puns tonight. Yeah. They named this stand the coon stand because there was this raccoon that frequently lived in this tree stand, and he – occasionally come give you a visit he never caused no harm he just look at you and then climb back up on top of the roof and take his nap for the day so i'm up there with my dad and first light we had a group of i think five doe come through and when you're a mentor you can't shoot does it's buck only and so that was first light and it was kind of slow until about i think it was probably right around noon when i saw this doe followed by this buck and i see this buck and i'm like dad there's a buck coming and he's like where and i pointed at it and i'm all excited i pull my gun up and my dad's looking at him and he's probably 45 yards away and my dad goes ah, i don't think you want him and i said no who are you to say what i want to kill right now <laughs> i said no dad I, I i think i do want him and he thought in his mind, he's like, who am I to tell a 10-year-old kid what he can and can't shoot? So my dad gave me the green light. And by this point, he had come into about 10 yards. And I was using this, um, I think it's a Winchester Model 7 243. It's actually the same 243 that my dad used when he shot his first buck. We just put that connection together the other day. But... So he's about 10 yards, and I put the squeeze on him, 
You're telling me this buck came out about 10 yards and you just freaking smoked I him. I freaking smoked him. <laughs> but that is one of the best little kid hunting videos that have ever surfaced on Facebook. But this buck, I, I squeezed the trigger just like my dad and grandpa taught me. Don't jerk it, just squeeze the trigger. And you never jerk it. No, never in the tree stand. And this buck takes off running like a bat out of hell. And I'm I'm in my ten year old mind thinking, crap, I missed him. He should have he should have dropped. Just like right the, there. Just like, just the like in the shows. shows. Yeah. Well, he makes about a thirty yard loop and turns around, so now his other side is facing me and I saw a big patch of red right behind his front shoulder and I knew he wasn't going far and he tumbled down right there. I watched him drop. And so I'm I'm all excited and we give him about 20 minutes to expire, and me and my dad go down there, and he showed me, he said, Tom, I'm going to show you this one time, and after that, it's on you. Showed me how to gut the deer, and I'm I'm through the roof, excited, just shaking. All I want to do is take pictures and tell everybody about it, but my dad wants to get back in the tree stand. So we get back in the tree stand. It's probably 1 o'clock at this point, and I'm sitting there. And now it's my dad's turn to hunt. And I got his binoculars, and they are locked on my deer just laying there, making sure nothing happens to Don't want him getting up and going somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Like every 45 seconds, I'm pulling the binoculars. The wind blows in the hairs, and Tom's flipping the safety off. I'm making sure this gutted deer is not going anywhere. (laughs) And after about... This is the first I've heard this, actually. After about an hour and a half of that, my dad realized that I wanted no part of being in the woods anymore. <laughs> so we climbed down, go to my uncle's garage, and get the four-wheeler. And we throw it on there and get it up to the garage and wait for everyone else to get back so I can brag and tell my hunting stories. And we brought it to my uncle's garage, my Uncle Mark's garage, and did all the processing. He did all the deer processing. processing for processed a lot of deer in his day. Yeah. So I was on cloud nine telling my deer story over and over and over, and I I couldn't have been happier. You're still happier telling it 10, 15 years later, and you're still happy about 12 it. 12 years later. That's, that's in right between in the 10 and 15, yep. I nailed it. Yep. So that was my first buck on my Uncle John's property. And my first turkey came, I think, two years later, Maybe. Well, you passed up a lot of birds trying to go for like a 14-inch long beard for your first gobbler. Yeah, I don't know why I had this mentality that I wanted my first gobbler to be a long beard. And I passed up, I couldn't tell you how many birds. I passed up, you know, jakes with five, six-inch beards. I actually, I passed, my biggest regret is I passed up a bearded hen. And yeah, that was pretty foolish of you. Yeah, well, so this bearded hen was feeding right in front of me and my decoys. And there was a big group of three toms in, that were like 60 yards out. And I really wanted one of these big toms. You smoke the hen, dude. Yeah, well. Bearded hen, what are you doing? Yeah, well, this one, I'm not kidding you, this gobbler, when he was feeding, his beard was dragging on the ground. He probably had like a 12-inch beard. It was... That's nothing compared to how how many have you seen since then with beards that long? Gobblers, yeah, mm, like three. 
And how many bearded hens have you seen since then? More than that. I don't believe you. I've seen a lot of bearded hens in my day, believe it or not. How many sitting in the woods? Because I've been with you when we've seen, we had one bearded hen that was frequenting up by Climber, but we never saw it when we weren't in the pickup truck. Me and no. Tom had one up in uh, at Morrison one day. Yeah, and I had, there was that one that I, I actually, I saw that a couple times at Morrison. Actually, okay, so that's was, only one. That one doesn't count every time you well, see it. If you saw it in two different times, you really can't confirm that it was the same bird. True, true. I don't know. Maybe she had some identifying marks or tattoos or something. Yeah, she never got close prison enough to tats. Tell. Yeah, those will give a turkey away every time. Absolutely. Yeah. But a lot of bearded girls in prison. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so um, there's that one. There's one frequent behind our house. My grandpa's you. The turkey population down there has kind of gone down a little bit, but he used to always have a couple back there. So I've I've seen a handful of them, but. Um, First gobbler, uh, I had got tired of passing up all these birds, and I'm with my grandpa, and he's probably the best turkey caller that I know of. And we're at my Uncle John's, and first light, we're calling in this big old gobbler, and he's out there about 80 yards, full strut, full fan. Like he's gobbling like I can feel it in my chest. Actually, I didn't throw up. I was past the throwing up phase at this point you grew out of that <laughs> hey, we've grown out of this <laughs> but you know as turkey hunting goes we got intercepted by a hen you know that whole deal way she goes never felt never experienced that in my life well, did she have a beard time in the turkey woods then nick i've got a few turkeys in my turkey time and you've never been intercepted by a hen no I'm not I... buying it not for a second <sighs> okay i have yeah uh, I've been maybe, with you maybe that one time. Happened one time. It's, it's happened a lot. So we get intercepted by this hen, and it's whatever. And that ordeal lasted us till about 8 o'clock. And we were walking around, you know, calling. And as, you know, turkeys do, they usually shut up from, you know, 8 o'clock till 10 o'clock. You got that little lull when they get henned up, and they don't want anything to do with you and that deal. But. Then the old hens, they go back to their nest, and the gobblers are back on the prowl around 10 o'clock. And it was probably right around 10 o'clock we heard this gobble off in the distance. And my grandpa, he said, all right, we're going to set up right here, tuck up against this tree, and we're going to see if we can't call these birds in. So he's calling, and they're coming in on a string, just perfect. And... They're coming down this hill. I can see there's two gobblers gobbling their heads off. Come down the hill, cross so over. So you didn't even have to shoot them at that point because their heads were already off. Yeah, believe <laughs> Yeah, but they come down, cross the creek over the hill. They're about 25 yards. My grandpa gives me the green light, and I put the old squeeze on with the old 835 Mossberg pump shotgun. Now, and, before you get any further along with this, do you want to talk about, you know, maybe the shot you use, your, the shells you're using for turkeys? Yeah. I use three-and-a-half-inch turkey loads. Why, why do you use three-and-a-halves? Because they don't make four-inch shells. <laughs> Good answer. Very, very fair. So this bird comes down about 25 yards, puts a squeeze on him, and he starts flopping like a fish out of the water. The other turkey goes running back up the hill. You sounded like you were coming from up north with turkey. Turkey. You sounded like you came out of Maine. Go park the car. Sorry. Sorry, I shot your turkey. But 
And believe it or not, I just made this connection in my head. The gun I used, that Mossberg 835, is the same gun my dad used to shoot his first gobbler. So that's pretty wild. We shot our first buck with the same gun, and we shot our first gobbler with the same gun. And I shot my first buck on the same property. I shot my first turkey, which is pretty cool because my dad just purchased that property from my uncle. So the property that... Like a, like a whole, whole circle. Nick knows where I'm going with this. No, no, corners. Corners. no corners. No corners. So the property I got my first gobbler and my first buck on, which is like, I think that's like the two biggest stepping stones for me hunting like i think that's like the biggest memory for anybody yeah your first buck and your first turkey yeah if you're when it comes to hunting so that property is going to be around for a long time which i think is pretty cool because i'd like to take my kids hunting there given the fact that i have kids that want to hunt at some point but luke what are you doing who said you could smoke in the house you guys told me last time but i just figured it'd be all right this time are we having a smoke break is that what's happening i think it's about time for a smoke break why don't you lead us into the smoke break all right, I'll take us into a smoke break, and we're going to talk about my favorite treat, smoked armadillo eggs. And I like to do them with... And boy, those are good. I've had them. With venison, venison burger. And you can do beef, it don't matter. But um, you get some venison burger sausage. I was using, I like to use like some sweet Italian grind. Venison burger sausage. I've never heard of that. What what exactly is that? Venison, venison grand. Venison grand. Seasoned. You can use Italian. it just straight up seasoned burger. from Italy and then back. Or if you want to season it, that's fine too. It, however you want your meat. Just make sure it's ground red you meat. You do your meat the way you like your meat. Yeah, no one knows prepared. your meat better than yourself. So, <laughs> you just you do the meat. As long as it's ground red meat, you're good to go. So, what you're going to want to do is... Take your grand and put it aside because we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> that comes start, later. Start hammering, hammering on it. Tell them all about it. All right, forget, so forget what I told you. you Once you've to, gotten the idea that you're going to use venison, throw it to the side because we're not there yet. <laughs> you're going to want to take some peppers. And I prefer like a sweet. Use Japolinos. I We tried that one time. And when you smoke a jalapeno pepper, it makes it like what, a thousand times what kind hotter. Of pepper is that it? Jalapeno. Japolino. Jalapeno. Jalapeno. When you smoke them babies, they get like wicked hot. So it's I like pref- wicked dark down there. I prefer like a banana pepper or something that's got a little less kick to it. What you're going to want to do is cut the top off that bad boy and take a butter knife or something and scoop out all the innards and seeds and everything. Throw them in the garbage. You don't need them. And... You're going to want to stuff them with cream cheese. and I'm definitely on whoa. board with that. Yeah. So you're going to take this cream cheese stuffed pepper, and you're going to wrap it in this venison grind. Got the stuff right. that you so threw you to get, the side. Yeah, yeah. Get it back. Stuff that you bring took away, you're bringing it back, so, so and you're, you're going to really, wrap it so around this like, pepper. Just like kind of pack it all the way around this pepper. Yep. Like how, so it's how, like a, how thick? How much like, meat are you using? Everybody's meat's different, uh, but <laughs> however thick you like it. No, you know, just like a probably I don't know, quarter to a half inch, depending. About on as far it. as Tom's holding his fingers apart. Yeah. yeah. 
No, it, I mean, I'm just wanting so like so you don't use too much or too little. In the no, pepper. you just want to cover the pepper. Yeah, just an, uh, that's a good point. Just yeah, just, just enough to, to cover the pepper. Yeah, just so like the pepper's not. Peter's pepper's covered. It's safe for the smoker. Yep. So pack it around there. You got your nice your nice meatball with a pepper in the middle, and you're going to crank your smoker up to about 250 degrees, and you're going to put those bad boys in there. What? What do you use in, or what do you prefer? Obviously, everybody's got their own preference on their own wood, but well, what wood if, do you like? Well, it really depends because if you want like a nice, mild, sweet, smoky flavor with not a lot of smoke, I'll use like apple. But if I want, you know, like a real burnt charcoal taste, you're gonna go with like a mesquite. Is that what you're going at? I mean, you're not gonna get a burnt charcoal taste, but there's definitely gonna be like. Uh, a lot of smoke. A lot of smoke. And do, you know, do you ever use pine like I like to use with my carp? Do you ever do you ever try that one? <laughs> no, no, I'm sure it'd be good. Does Bradley but, make pine pucks? I, I don't know. I should write a letter. Look, look it up and uh, send, send us uh, an email or uh, comment on a video and let us know if you ever tried the pine out. No. So basically what you're going to do <laughs> is actually take, take it back a little bit. What I do is I basically I make a burger, like regular quarter-pound burger, Put the pepper right on the burger and then fold the edges around. That's how I like to do All it. Right, that's, Just mush that's it good, back yeah. together. Yep. So that's how I like to make my armadillo eggs. And mash it back together. <laughs> put it in the smoker at 250 degrees. You can use apple if you like, you know, mild smoke, mesquite if you like heavy smoke. Or I've actually, I've gone every other, like apple, mesquite, apple, mesquite. To get like yeah, a the best of both and then words. back to apple, yep, and, and so on. And you're gonna want to put that in there for the about two hours or until you know your meat reaches 160 degrees. Pull them out, you know, let them cool down a little bit, and put them right on the table, and they'll be gone. You, they're actually big enough; you can have them as damn near a meal. Yeah, you could add, you know. A yeah, side they're basically dish the size like, of a good burger. Like you, well, said, like you take a full burger. burger and wrap it around it. That's that's a lot of meat right yeah, there. Yeah, so you take your cream cheese stuffed pepper, wrap it in a burger, put it in a smoker at 250 for 2 hours or until it reaches 160 degrees. Take it out and you got yourself some armadillo eggs that are fantastic. They're delicious. There you have it. Thank you for uh, this week's smoke break, Tom. Yeah, anytime. And before we get back into your stories of your firsts and other big buck stories, I do want to, we're going to go to the listeners here. Uh, The listeners, a couple of listeners came in and had some questions for you. So we're going to go through that. You know, we sent out on Instagram and Facebook that uh, Tommy the Cat was in the hot seat tonight. So uh, our first listener that chimed in is uh, NoSchmidt101 from Instagram. And you know what he wants to know is, Tommy, what is the best way to sip on Jaeger? Well, Nolan, I'll tell you. The best way to sip on Jaeger is ice cold. And keep it to yourself because it's disgusting. No, you're going to want to share it with everybody around. So you're saying bigger the bottle, the better? Absolutely, yeah. What I like to do is if I'm at a hotel in Florida, it's spring break. <laughs> this is, that sounds very specific. Has this happened before? <laughs> I like to keep my bottle of Jaeger in the freezer, and I'll go to every room where I know my baseball buddies are staying at, and I'll bring them back to my room, and I'll tell them, hey, we got ice-cold Jaeger, and we'll all go back to my room, and we'll each do a rip of ice-cold Jaeger. So, Nolan, the best way to sip Jaeger, hands down, ice-cold 
out of your spring break room down in Florida. That's perfect. I actually hate Jaeger. That's <laughs> delicious. Actually, very few people actually do like it. Right now, just for you, Nolan, I'm gonna take a rip of a long ice pole. cold yeah. Jaeger. Long just for you, pole. buddy. Here we go. One one thousand. Two one thousand. Three one thousand. Four one thousand. Oh man. Five one. Wow, he did a five second oh. rip for you, Nolan. That is borderline his, long pole. His his face didn't really look like he liked it as much as he was saying it. How good it was. Oh, it's good. It's really. We might as well. There's. Well, I'm gonna chase it with some Jenny beer. <laughs> that good, huh? Stand by. Yeah, that's good, Jaeger. <laughs> All right. So, second question is uh, from our good buddy Jimmy Corral. Getting He's, us back on the hunting topic. Yeah. Jimmy Corral is a good friend of ours, big time hunter, and also the league commissioner for our uh, softball league. So, pretty good buddies with Jimmy. We've grown Go closer Engine over House the years. Thirty Nine. Thank you. Woo! So, uh, Tom, Jimmy asks, he's curious to hear your thoughts on the regards of the home range of a mature whitetail in Erie County, which is where we're based out of. Specifically, their summer range, but feel free, if you'd like, to talk about rut and winter ranges. Now, I know you usually get your bucks pretty early, so I don't know how much experience you have in that, but let us know. Let's start with uh, summertime, and what would you say is their range? Great question, Jimmy. So... (laughs) What a terrific audience. So, from my experience... You guys have matching mustaches, don't you? Yeah, we do. We both support a solid mustache. And, I mean, I, I think it's pretty great. I love growing a mustache. It's a lot of fun. Not everybody can. No, and so if you can grow a mustache, you should. Well, because most of the people that can don't. I only rock it. one for archery season, and man, did it look nice. <laughs> but, back to the home range of mature whitetail. I'm going to talk about one specific buck. And... I had, it was this beautiful eight point. He was three and a half, four and a half years old, which I think in, you know, northwestern Pennsylvania, that would be considered. That's a mature That's about as old as you're going to find a whitetail in this area. So I had pictures of this buck on a piece of property that I hunt on 99 in South Hill. Tell him everything. You want longs and lats? Yeah. (laughs) And I was regularly getting pictures of that buck and a guy down the road four or five miles up south hill was also getting pictures of the same exact buck during the summertime you said during the summertime yeah and through spotting i've seen you know bucks in there was this one buck that i was spotting this was a couple summers ago this was the only non-typical buck i've ever spotted and I don't know, Nick, were you with me? No, I never go spotting when you go spotting. I didn't know if you were there this specific time. I don't think I've ever spotted without you. Yeah, we do do a lot of spotting in the summer. But there was this buck where he just had kickers galore it coming a, off of him. It was a really cool buck, especially in this area because I've never seen anything like it. And we saw him religiously in the same field, pretty much the same spot every time we would go. And we would go three, four nights a week. So I think so I think yeah where you're going with this is it sounds like each buck kind of its personality really like but as a generalization do you have like an idea of As a generalization I would a generalization I would say about a 5 mile radius throughout the summer months um you know I've seen a lot of bucks in a field one night and I've seen them 
on the other side of the block. On the other side of the block, one of which is only, you know, a a couple hundred yards. Yeah. So, but I've also seen them five miles apart. Mm -hmm. So I think giving a specific answer as to a buck will travel five miles is it's pretty tough it's a little difficult i think a lot of it depends on the deer itself because i know its maturity level has a lot to do with it too i think the older a buck gets the smaller its home range will be the less it will travel Mm -hmm. i do know that but um because a little buck they're being bounced off they're getting getting kicked they're getting kicked out of blocks but when a big mature buck when he has you know 300 acres that he is the top buck he he doesn't have to leave if if he has food, water and bedding, he doesn't have to leave that. What about does? Well, yeah, does too. But it's the most important part of this equation. But as a generalization, I would say a 5-mile radius is a good ballpark of what a buck will travel in the summer months that you which really isn't that far. You'll take a buck you know, a couple hours. Mm-hmm. just mosey yeah if they're just walking you know they can cover a ton of ground and we were talking earlier about the big buck that i killed a few years ago i i know a guy i didn't know at the time when i killed the deer but i found out later he had pictures of this deer over two miles away from where i killed it you know not just a few days before so in just that couple of days it traveled a couple of miles to get to where i killed him and we had never had pictures of that buck or anything and that was like pre-rut. It wasn't, you know, heating up really. It was, you know, starting to get later in October. So it wasn't, you know, full bore yet. But that buck traveled a couple of miles and, you know, just a couple of days. Well, same thing with uh, Wajaleski's big buck killed up on Greenlee. We had pictures of him where we were at um, in, you know, several farms over across the block. Country block's pretty big. And they were getting sheds over there. They never got pictures, but they had the sheds over there. And we had pictures up on our side, so it definitely yeah, that's all. That's a couple miles. That's what so, I mean. So I think yeah, you're probably pretty accurate with the five mile radius. Um, but that that's when you know they're on their summer patterns, and they're doing pretty much the same thing every day, without any pressure. It's also tough in Erie County because the hunting pressure. They could get bumped out of a block every single day because there's just, the hunting population is so dense. Well, we're talking summer still right now, to be fair. Right, but... To be fair. To be fair. To be fair. But I was going to get into, um, you know, he talked about the rut in the winter. Yeah, he wants... Yeah, um, rut and winter next. The rut and winter, that's a totally different ballpark because when a buck's in rut, they have one thing on their mind. What is that one thing? Breeding. Mm. So... Some say another word, but for podcast purposes, we're going to say breeding. Oh, the other word, mating. That's what got you. Nailed it. Yep, that's the other word he was thinking of, mating. But yeah, that's the one thing they have on their mind. So um, I'm going to take you to a story. This isn't um, Erie County. This is Prattsburg, New York. But New York and Pennsylvania are extremely similar in terrain and hunting pressure and population like density of hunters, of hunters yeah. so it's hunting new york is very similar to hunting pennsylvania and up at our farm the morrison it's not our farm but we have permission to hunt it, it i mean it's a family farm our, our yeah. grandfather and his buddy bought it back in the 80s um nick john eaves and his brother ed eaves were all hunting do you want me to give this, the story 
Yeah, Nick, well, you know, it's only Tom's spotlight. Tom's I mean, in the yeah, hot seat, but, I mean, but we'll just pass it over to you. He's giving me a story that I was a yeah, part of. Go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. So I've been after this specific buck up at this farm for – this is my second season on him. Um, with uh, – if you're counting success as killing it, no success. But I've gotten closer this year, and I'm hoping to kill him next year. But anyway, there's big buck cruising where I like to hunt on this farm. And John Eves was hunting a couple – Sorry to interrupt, but we have the privilege to hunt. Um, it's just under a thousand acres, and all but one of the neighbors also practice quality deer management. So we do have in New York State the opportunity to hunt mature whitetails. I think my buddy Keith shot a buck up there that was what aged it five and a half. Yeah, that yeah. So we do have the opportunity to hunt mature bucks up there and how old do you think john's buck was john's was it had the size of that deer had to put it in i would say four and a half Uh, it's four and a half five and it was i mean it's not uncommon to get a five and a half year old deer four and a half year old deer up on that farm yeah yeah around Um, here that's unless it's a doe like for bucks around here that's almost unheard of but because pa there's still and I'm, there's nothing wrong with meat hunters, but there's so many of them in Pennsylvania. It's really tough to have this be a place where you're going to hunt mature whitetails like yep. that. And and like the antler restriction, the deer are getting a little bigger. Over yeah, the but past New York years. has no antler but, restriction. Yeah, but and, we're just we're lucky enough to have an area of several thousand acres where that is getting managed. Deer management is a priority. Yeah, around here where we live, you know, people have a ten acre chunk, and you know, like us. We, we only like to shoot, you know, nicer deer. We're not going to shoot the first tiny little thing that comes walking by. I tend to shoot the first thing that yeah. walks yeah, by. Yeah, your neighbor, yeah, thank you. just get yeah. lucky, Nick. Yeah, Nick Sometimes gets lucky every time. the first deer that walks by is a real nice buck. Yeah, it does happen a lot. But, but anyway, so Like, everybody the- around here, you know, has a 10-acre chunk. So, like, if I have 10 acres and I only shoot, you know, nice bucks, and then my neighbor and his neighbor, you know, they have 10, 20-acre chunks and shoot whatever they want. It's a lot harder to manage these smaller chunks around where we live as opposed to up there where you have a couple thousand acres of you and the neighboring properties that are, everybody is shooting bigger deer. Yeah. So anyway, so I've been on this buck for two years, and I'm, I was in one of my mobile setups down about halfway down the gully, and this was pretty damn close to peak rut when this was going on. So at this point, I'm more hunting does because, you know, where the does are going to be, that's where the bucks are going to be. Um, but I knew that this was kind of the home turf of that buck. And John was sitting several hundred yards away from me, directly would have been west of me. I'm sitting in my tree stand, got my mobile set up. John's a couple hundred yards above me, and the guy that owns the property, Ed Eves, he's across the street. And uh, he's uh, – we're all sitting – like I said, we're all sitting there, peak rut – and I had seen a monster buck come by, and for me, a monster buck I would say is probably like 140s. Is I'm saying it's pretty. Uh, that's impressive to me. I've never killed anything that big. Um, I see him come bolting past me, chasing a doe, just shoots right to the bottom of the gully and out of my life. I'm pretty certain it's the buck I've been after. I was about 45 yards from him, and he was just on that doe like crazy yeah there was no turning him or stopping him or anything he was just going going so anyway buck walks out of my runs out of my life head back to camp and we're getting back to camp and uh you know i I, i'm pretty diligent about like checking time when i see deer you know so i can yeah same here i like to take notes yeah i have a notebook exactly take notes exactly when i'm seeing deer so it helps me later on in the season 
in future years. But anyway, so I get back to camp, and John texts me, or not texts me, he talks to me at the, uh, at the table, and he's like, man, I had a stud buck run by me, real light-colored rack. And I asked him what time it was, and he's like, well, I was texting so-and-so, and so I remember the time, and then I was like, well, son of a gun. Like, that was within two minutes of when I had seen him. And then Ed shows up a couple minutes later to camp because he was hunting across the road. And he's like, dude, you guys are not going to believe the buck that I watched across the road, you know, from my stand. And so we, this buck covered, it's probably almost a mile between from where like me and John were sitting pretty close, but Ed was quite a ways away. In less than five minutes. Oh yeah. I mean, just on this doe, just gone. Like it was just incredible when we put the pieces together because I mean, we have good bucks up there. But it's not like we're having – you're not going to see several 140s. So you're, we're all pretty certain it was the same deer running by. But also up there, um, there's several different farms that we hunt up there. And we've had pictures of bucks on the Morrison farm, which is like the main farm. And we've also had pictures of, in the rut, the same buck on – the big pond farm which is over five miles away and it's not uncommon at all to see you know the same buck on those two farms and i during the rut i think that range easily doubles is how far they will go because so many of the bucks we take up there we have never got on trail cam and that's the story with people, you know, everywhere. You always hear people shooting a buck, and they're like, I had no idea this thing was even on the property, and odds are it wasn't until, you know, the rut kicked in, and it just happened to be on a doe that ran over there. So well, On the flip side of that, how many times do you hear of a guy, or even yourself, that's got pictures of a slammer in the summertime, and as soon as bow season comes around, they're gone? Yeah, exactly. So, I, mean, it's, I think, I know a lot of bucks, they will summer in one spot, and come the rut, they go to because in the summertime they're focused on eating and water. So if there's plenty of food and water, that's where they're going to be focused on. And come rut, they know I got to go to where the does are. So they might move several miles to a spot where they know and hold up. You know, yeah, like yeah, in the summertime they'll cover this, you know, square mile, and then in the rut they'll move three miles away and cover that one square mile yeah so they're not really covering a ton of ground when you think about it but different times a year they will travel that far to get to where they will spend all of their time i think bucks they definitely they'll summer in one spot rut in another spot and winter in another spot it i mean i i run winters like solely they're after food yeah that's that's their only thing in their mind trying to get food trying to build fat to keep them warm through the winter but very I, i run cameras pretty much year round and very rarely this whole mountain on lock very rarely will i have the same bucks in the summer in the rut and in the winter time usually the bucks that i have on camera during the summer disappear and i'll get new bucks throughout the rut and once the rut you know kind of levels off a new patch of deer comes in for the winter so just as a generalization, I would say five mile radius in the summer, ten mile radius in the rut. That was a uh, lot longer of an explanation than uh, how you drink how you drink your Jaeger. Yeah, uh, it's very detailed. 
That's what some uh, things are short yeah. and sweet. Some things you really got to work at. Yeah. Like like Jaeger. So well, sweet. I Jaeger, do that's th- a very uh, direct. Before we get and- off topic and we lose this, I want to thank Jimmy <laughs> for that question. Um, I really appreciate people chiming in and giving us something to talk about. I hope we answered that the way you wanted to. I can't. Uh, gar- okay. We also are doing karaoke nights on Thursday night, starring Luke Soboleski. <laughs> but uh, thank you, Jimmy. Uh, and also, No Schmidt 101, thank you for uh, giving he's Tom actually, an excuse to drink Jaeger. At he's, the our, podcast. Uh, he's on the bench crew at Borough Baseball. So. The bench crew? What do you elaborate, so, please? So I, I never played baseball really competitively until college. What are you talking about? You said 10 to 13, you were, All you were hammering the field. Actually, no, 10 to 12, I stopped when I was 13. <laughs> oh, you really put the grind in for those couple Gave yourself years. a little extra is what you're saying. Yeah, but uh, me and Nolan, we became really good buddies down in Florida. because While you're riding the bench? Yeah, just cheering the team on. And that that's where you know all your wins come from is the bench, really. The bench you, crew is responsible That's why they have a the specific wins. bench coach. Yeah, you got, you got to hype up the team and – who else is going to yell, you know, hey, we need a hey, hit out of here. Come on, buddy. Hey, batter. Yeah, you know, so it's it's that motivation coming from the bench that really helps your team do good. So me and Nolan, we had, well. yeah, we had a lot of good times down there in Florida, and I appreciate the question coming in for you, buddy. And I hope to demonstrate the best way to drink Jaeger this coming spring break trip with you. That would be great. I'd really like I'm that. sure you're going to be able to tell how much Jaeger Tom drinks by the end of this podcast. Yeah, you probably will be able to. So, I got to ask, Tom, you've had mm-hmm. at least <laughs> 10 years of outdoor experience in your life, or expertise, if you will. I want to yeah. hear your number one memory from the outdoors. Boy. If you would. Whew. My number one memory. That oh boy, so would it be easier if I said two? So, yeah. Um, How about we do one hunting and one fishing? Perfect. Okay. So <laughs> that that squirted away. He's ready to rip. Fishing. We'll start with fishing because that happened first in my life. I was privileged enough to go salmon fishing in the Kenai River in Alaska. So I, we did talk about this before. Yeah, on the Clovacar episode. Yeah, with, with the dentist. But yeah, let's hear it again. I don't think we need to go into quite we, the detail. But very uh, specific details. <laughs> That's a made-up name, man. <laughs> um, so no, just give us a quick rundown. You know, sockeye salmon fishing, flossing technique. You know what? This is actually a perfect time for you to finish your story. From the first time we talked right, about this, I was cut off my pink salmon story, and I was a little his upset dog about salmon. It. He never got to finish his story, so go back. Make sure you listen to Tom's story. You're going to see that there, it kind of gets cut off. To be continued right, right now. now. So we're fishing the Bird Creek, crushing these pink salmon. And this is day day one or day two. And we're, we're keeping them. And, like, no one else is keeping them, but, you know, whatever. We're not natives. We're just out there having a good time. And we bring these pink salmon home. And come to find out like the natives won't even feed these salmon to their dogs like they are the scum it's like i guess to compare it it would be like eating carp 
back whoa, here. Whoa, okay. don't, <laughs> don't be talking about carp like that. Just cook them with Luke's recipe, and you'll be good to go. Yeah, so we were keeping these pink salmon, and we brought them back to the house, and we had, had quite a few beers, and we cooked up these pink salmon, and they were delicious. <laughs> Dynamite. <laughs> Dynamite to die for. Best fish you ever had, you know. Grill them with some lemon juice, a little salt and pepper. Dump some beer on them. They're delicious. Forget about it. Talk about a five-course meal. Get them out of here. Five-star meal. One course, five-star. Um, so we're like, we're, <laughs> we're definitely keeping more of these. So we go back the next day, keep a bunch of pink salmon, freeze them, ship them home. I'm like super stoked to cook these pink salmon. Telling everybody how delicious they are. Yeah. So we cook these pink salmon and eat them without having 47 beers, several beers. And um, yeah, I understand why the natives wouldn't feed them to their dogs because (laughs) pretty terrible. Yeah. They're trash. Um, Not good. Super fishy, super like mush, just gross. But if you want to eat them, I recommend a 12 pack beforehand and they. (laughs) Maybe some Jaeger. Yeah, who knows? They will be delicious. Was there was there one fish on that trip that was like, wow, like this is this is cool. I wouldn't say there was one specific fish. Yeah, so to get back on topic, you know, the yeah. whole the one fishing, one hunting memory. So the best. It, it to was be specific. It was really just I mean, as fast as you could get your line in the water, you were hooking into a sockeye and one specifically I remember, I had flossed a sockeye salmon in the tail, and it took me into my backing as fast as you could imagine. Like, right now, you were in your backing. And it got into the rapids, and just, it, I had to, what you do is you give it your real death grip, point your rod at the fish, and pull back, and we were using 80-pound line, so, like, you're not going to snap your line. It's going to pop the hook right out of her. And so, actually, that was very memorable. But the most memorable fish I caught was this chum salmon, and Nick, their nickname's chum salmon because they're another kind of crappy fish. Like, you just chop them up and use them as chum. You don't eat them or nothing. But they're very... They're a very beautiful fish. Their color is kind of like, it's very solid through the middle of their, they're a silver fish with like a solid color through the middle of their body. And it kind of like, it bleeds down the bottom. It's a really unique looking salmon. Yeah, look, look them up if you can't like get a picture in your head of what he's talking yeah, it's about. It's kind of tough beautiful. to describe, but very, very, very pretty fish. And I caught probably a 10 pound chum salmon and that was probably the most memorable fish i caught just because how unique the color of that specific fish is but overall that nine day trip up in alaska salmon fishing with two of my buddies paul and hunter was just by far my best fishing experience as far as hunting experiences goes i'd say it's a toss-up between we'll we'll allow it you are the host hot seats. So you make your own rules. If you have two that it's a toss-up between... Well, it's a toss-up between three. Jeez. Okay, now you're you getting out of hand. So you don't make the rules one. anymore. So 
you know my, honestly we pay for to post as much content as we want so we might as well just go for it so i took a week-long trip turkey hunting out in the great state of kansas with both my brothers nick and luke my dad and my granddad that was awesome a great time we didn't kill any birds but it was i didn't see any did you see any birds yeah i saw birds every day oh i never saw any yeah well but, That's because you were catfishing the whole time. Yeah, that is true. I did nail some catfish. So there's that. And I think you kind of just got to bundle up weekends at the White Cat Outdoors headquarters along with weekends at the Morrison Farm. Like, you can't beat either one of them. The hunting camp's a special thing. Yeah, and that's not and, even specifically for the hunting. That's just yeah, the people it's, that you're it's with. The group, like, it's the group of guys that you're up there with. And... The group of guys that... Just a bunch of guys being dudes. Bros being dudes. Couldn't have said it better myself. But... You when, did correct him, though. So yeah, <laughs> I said... Yeah. Just but we're not guys, guys we're bros. bros. being dudes. Yeah, guys being bros being dudes, you know? No, hunting camp is a special thing. And I think, while we're on the topic of hunting camp, I think one of my favorite things about hunting camp is that old dusty binder that sits, you know, maybe above the fireplace or above the cabinets that is just loaded with old memories of the people that were hunting there before you were like old I said, Polaroid pictures. Exactly. From the 80s. I mean, like you said, cause my, my grandfather and his hunting buddies, they traveled the entire country hunting whitetails, muleys, sheep, turkeys, elk, like everything. And there's just so many snapped pictures that are in that album that, I mean, they're just, every picture's just got an incredible story to it. And I think that's probably one of my favorite parts about hunting camp is that binder that sits above that, you know, probably got a little bit of dust on it, but every time you bring that down, it just, you know, the memories just start flowing, and I just can't wait till, you know, that old binder's filled with people our size, or our age, you know, back our in the day. Our size. Yeah. <laughs> our size. <laughs> but, yeah, so weekends at Morrison Farm, weekends at the White Cat Outdoors headquarters. I mean, it's it's just fantastic. And ever since I was... 14 years old, which is the age you can... Thank you for the dramatic pause, (laughs) (laughs) Pat. You can start gun hunting up in New York State at 14. At least that's what it was when I was 14. Um, That was was my birthday present every year. Still is. Yeah. Um, My uh, birthday is... That's the one thing that sucks about having... A birthday during like archery season or rifle season, you know your parents and your girlfriend, you know everybody. Well, not like, all, not all parents. Yeah. My dad Ours was in full learned. support. Yeah, it was same with my parents. But like, I'm sure you've seen it with girlfriends. Oh. People always try to make plans for your birthday, and it's like, how about here's what I want for my birthday: for you to not plan anything and to just let me go hunting. Actually, spe- speaking of this, Hornhub just posted that meme today. With meme, the I think it's po- Mimi, M E M E, with Pelosi ripping up the. Um, what is the uh, his, the? It was his speech. His speech, yes. The it's state of the union. Yes, yeah, is that sorry. what you're looking for? Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Uh, I figured that, I'd let you struggle tough. with it for a little say, bit. If you knew it, you should have definitely said it earlier. But anyway, why would I do that? So Hornhub posted the meme with them ripping up fall wedding invitations, coming through. <laughs> Bunch but, of trash. That's <laughs> that is very similar on the lines of you know trying to plan birthday parties and festivities, if you will. Yeah, you just don't do it in October. Because the yeah. only festivities I have are being in the woods. But even Halloween night, I think that, that is a magical time to be in the woods. There's Absolutely. something, maybe, just maybe, 
because I killed my first archery buck on Halloween with velvet on it, by the way. Yeah, that was wild. We're going to save that for somebody else's hot seat. Anyway, is it going to be your hot seat? It probably will be. I might tell the story in my hot I'll seat. I'll tell it right now. <laughs> there we were, Morrison Farm. <laughs> this is, it's going, we're going, uh, we've gone off the pavement and we were, in, we were going off road in here. Tom is taking Tom, full why don't control. you tell us your favorite hunting story? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so since I've been. You, old, yeah, you generalized three locations. We want a, a favorite hunting memory. One. Favorite? Well, we already told the story of my first buck, and I think that's a huge, 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 huge stepping stone. Um, other than that, best hunting memory, I would have to say. Is it when I smoked that gobbler at 57 yards in climber? No, that was a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> that was a really funny story, though. Well, we'll tell you that story. Uh, I, I'm a decent turkey caller. I don't like to brag. As I, am I. I think I'm I'm pretty solid. So we set up in Climber, which is was it 116 acres? That'd be correct. Two groups of guys, four guys, two groups. Turkey hunting. How many guys? Four. And I I kind of knew what these birds were doing. They were coming off the roost, coming down the hill, and coming out to this field. And I told Nick where I was going to set up. And he said, "Oh, perfect. I'm going to set up." on top of the hill and see if they come out into this other field. Little did I know, Nick was just jerking my chain. He set up on the bottom of the hill. No, that's not the first time or the last time Nick has done stuff like that. No. Yeah, and, but see, this one didn't have any alcohol involved. This is just a miscalculation. He <laughs> totally sat right in between me and the birds. That is a lie. You were at least 60 yards further in than I was. That's how this whole thing happened. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't directly in sixty line. yards when you're when you're talking about it. That's not very that's far. Not very okay, far. yeah. If you take in the size of the entire earth, sixty yards is not very far. If you take in the size of the property, sixty yards is not very far. Okay, we both know that there's only one flock of birds on the property. So and you sat in between. Figured, you know what? I, I gave cut myself Tom the off. best opportunity to kill a bird that day, and that is it. So <laughs> these birds are goblin to my call no they're on the roost and i i would call and they would hammer back to me and i guess nick got a little jealous because then he started to call and guess what they hammered no silence (laughs) man you were just running away with this podcast on your own (laughs) i would call they'd hammer nick would call silence i called this one specific gobbler off the roost it was damn near dark Still. Uh, 5.50 because yeah, I had to write it 5.50 in the morning, this bird said, I'd had enough. I'm going to see what this hen's about. So he flies down, and he is... Meanwhile, my, my buddy Paul was the one hunting with me, and he was supposed to be uh, videotaping for me. He didn't have his camera on because it was that early. But this bird was so hot and eager to come down to me that he, he's like, I'm leaving now. So he comes running down the hill, and... You know, Nick sitting right in between us. Uh, and no, 60 yards away from being in between you. Yeah, shoots 57, his, we found out later. Shoots aiming directly in between Tom and the birds. No. That is a lie. That is a total lie. It was so... You can't see my fingers here, so... so Tom's drawing a picture for you. It's a well, are here. <laughs> Nick's here. 
I'm here. All right, so for you listeners, we're making basically a or no a right angle triangle. Yes. And I am at the right angle. Me and the gobblers are at the hypotenuse. No, the gobblers are the gobblers at a right triangle. Yes, there is a gobbler. The gobbler is traveling. No hypotenuse with an equilateral triangle. Tom's getting geometry lessons later on tonight. I actually took a college level geometry class. So that's why you know all about yeah. triangles. So the turkey yeah, is traveling. The hypotenuse is the longest side. Thank you, Tom. The turkeys are traveling along the hypotenuse. Correct. Tom is sitting at the end of the hypotenuse. And Nick's at the right corner, or the right angle. Yes. So the birds started at the top of the hypotenuse. Tom's at the bottom of the hypotenuse, and I am at the right angle. There you have it. This bird is coming into me on a string, literally running. Like, running. Be what? Yeah. Swaying in the wind. Oh, it was swinging. <laughs> well, you didn't know that because it was that dark. You thought it was a Jake when you shot it. <laughs> eh, I just I like to be conservative when I tell people so, I got one. This you don't bird, want to tell him 15-inch beard and it ends up being nine. Yeah. I hear him gobble. He flies down, gobbling. I hear him. I don't hear him running, but he gobbles and gobbles again way closer. So I'm like, he's on his way. And I'm thinking Nick's up on top of the hill. And all of a sudden... So you're telling me my calling was so good that you didn't know it was me at the bottom of the hill. That's what you're saying right now? Because you thought I was still up at the top of the hill. Yeah. That's how good my calling was? Yeah, it turns out the hen that I thought was calling was you. And you Man, I must were, be pretty talented. Really? So you worked, you worked me over as I called this bird into me, is what you're saying? No. What I'm saying is you intercepted this gobbler that I called in. Which it hens just, tend to do. It... No, because it didn't go into you. It ran 60 yards past 57. you. 57. 57 yards past you. I'll stand by that yardage. Running towards me. So this gobbler's running towards me. I'm getting all excited because he's coming in hot. And all of a sudden, boom, right like 100 yards away. I'm like, I thought he was up on top of the hill, which is like several it hundred yards away. depends on what away. top of the hill. I mean, there's You're smaller knolls. You're at the knolls. bottom of the hill. The, the whole hill, yes. But like there's some smaller knolls that you could consider hills that I might have been at the top of. Yeah, well, no. He said he was going to be on the field edge at the top of the hole. That's so long, I don't even remember saying that. He intercepted this bird that was running into me, shot at it 57 yards on the run, and I called him. I freaking smoked him. I called I was like, did you just shoot? And I'm like, he's like, yeah, I just Hell yeah, I shot. (laughs) He's like, I just shot this Jake. So I'm like, sweet. I mean, I was still, I mean, I wasn't. Really, I mean, we joke about it, but I wasn't that upset. I'm just as happy when I get a bird as when someone else gets a bird. Like, as long as someone gets the job done, I'm freaking pumped. So we're all excited. Nick's, like, yeah, I just got a Jake, which was at this time the first gobbler that had been taken off the farm since we started hunting it. So me and my cousin Corey, we trek over there, and turns out this Jake had like a what a ten inch beard. It was like nine and seven. It was eights. a rope. Too. It was, yeah, it was, and it was thick. like it was a freaking beer bottle. It was huge. But um, I mean, I strutted that thing all over town. Yeah, we went to the tavern, or not the tavern, the diner, Main Street and Diner. Showed everybody. But uh, everybody's like, "Did you guys see that monster Tom in the bed of that truck?" I'm like, "Yeah, that's <laughs> it's, it's called an inform." <laughs> but me and Frank, we've had some wild turkey hunts. We have had a lot of really good turkey hunts. Frank's. When we go, we go. We have this little deal, deal where we go up to Morrison Farm Memorial Day weekend. Even in Maryland, we did it. Yeah. So when it comes to turkey hunting, 
in groups. Me and Frank, we're a partner. We're a duo. And You're a partner. <laughs> we're we part- are not partners. <laughs> he works under me. <laughs> no, we, we hunt together. And, boy, we have had some hunts. I would consider – we've never – the one time I killed a bird up there, Frank was like, oh, I'm not going I out. had to leave. Yeah, he had. The funny thing is, he had to paint the I inside of his closet later. or something stupid. <laughs> Dumbass excuse. <laughs> anyway, I go out, I shoot a freaking bird, and um, Frank could have went because he was still there when I got back to camp, and we had a celebratory beer, and then Frank ran over the birdhouse on his way out. It was the whole thing. Which we would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those meddling kids. No. We, when we put the birdhouse back up, we put it on backwards. That's how we got caught. But, yeah. We've we had it. some great hunts so up there together. We, I don't know how. We've derailed again. Yeah, way we have not. We still have not heard Tom's favorite hunting story. Favorite hunting story, turkey hunting trip, Kansas, both my brothers, my dad, my granddad. Boom. That's my, stamp it in, write it in pen. That is not your write it in pen. But while you bring it up. Let's just get right into it. Tommy, the cat, this has been your host hot seat, your write it in pen segment for tonight. Well, you're really throwing this on me. My write it in pen segment is going to have to hold on. Do you have one more story in here or what? Yeah, I want to tell this story about the Kansas hunt. All right. Kansas hunt. We've already gone over Kansas, though. Not, not here. Kansas. Kansas. Well, then I'll tell about my first shot. I'll tell about, we've already discussed Kansas. We'll talk about my second favorite hunt, which is my first archery kill up at the Morrison Farm. Oh, your first archery kill. I thought you were talking about your first archery buck. No. Okay. First First archery archery kill. kill. Morrison Morrison Farm. Hit it. First year I was able to go up to camp for my birthday, I was, I was freaking stoked. All excited. I've been shooting my grandpa's bow that he gave to me. Parker, beautiful bow. Been shooting it. And we get up there, and I was 14 at the time. We get up there. First night, November 8th, and I'm all excited. I get to, I take a scent-free shower, go to bed at like 9 I took o'clock. a scent-free shower in a extremely high, uh, what's the word? Sulfur. Um, sulfur bath yeah sulfur is a natural smell deer can't smell it well like, okay if it's a natural smell it doesn't mean they can't smell it they, yeah they don't even worry about it it's uh, sulfur for those for those who don't know where the camp well doesn't get used crazy often and it's got well, a very once high, every month and it's got a very high sulfur content with no water softener so you kind of come out smelling like a hard-boiled egg more than anything Deviled eggs. Deer don't know what hard-boiled eggs are, so you're perfectly fine. (laughs) I bet they would eat them if they knew what they They were. They probably would. So I take my scent-free shower, and I get into bed probably 9 o'clock, which, you know, I don't do that. (laughs) That's freaking early for you. (laughs) Yeah, I don't do that anymore when it comes to deer hunting. I like to, you know, party it up. That's also not true. I've seen you sleep before anybody at camp multiple times. After he barks with the big dogs, though. Yeah, he lets out a few barks. (laughs) Ruff, ruff. Anyway, 14 years old, sentry shower. Oh, so that's why you weren't barking, because yeah. you were only 14. Hit the hay. I get up. It's my birthday, November 9th. And my good friend Ed hooks me up with this stand, and he said, 
Tommy, this stand is a slam dunk. I mean, deer come through here all the time, and if you'll you'll have an opportunity at your your first archery deer. I said, perfect. That's what I'm about. Sign me up. Yep. So I get dropped off at the road. Walt's back in there with my dad. Actually, he was taking his climber, and he went in about a hundred yards further than me, and I was in what we call the dump stand. It's in the middle of the hardwoods, a bunch of acorns around, and it's right on the edge. Of, it's kind of in a transition area in between bedding, hard. Let me. So, you gonna draw us another picture with yeah. your fingers? Please, Tom, draw us a picture so the listeners can really get a good idea of this. Okay, so that's a joke. Don't actually draw a picture. To the west. Okay, you're in the stand. You're facing west, and you got a cornfield about, boy, I don't know, three hundred yards. In between that cornfield and you is all thick bedding. And you're just on the outskirts of that bedding, in the hardwoods, in an oak tree. Oak trees all around you. So you got cornfield, bedding, hardwood oaks, you name it. Perfect, perfect setup for deer. You're going to have deer coming out of the hardwoods, going right into the bedding to bed down for the day. How can you beat it? You can't. So... I see all kinds of deer in the morning, like first light, nothing close enough to shoot, and it's it's cold out. It's about maybe twenty degrees, and I got I'm all layered up. And about seven o'clock rolls around, and I have these does come by at twenty five yards straight in front of me, and I try to draw back on one, but I was so frozen I couldn't I couldn't draw my dope broke couldn't draw my bow back, and they disappear. So I'm sitting there a little bit frustrated. And as the morning continues on, I warm up a little bit. And about 11 o'clock, this group of like six doe comes waltzing through. And I pick out the biggest one. And at like 32 yards straight to my north, she stops. And I draw back and, you know, tap the release Arrow goes in, perfect, right behind the front shoulder. She takes off, disappears. I hear a crash and everything. My dad watched it all happen out of his binos, and I call him. I'm all excited. He's like, "All right, I'm just gonna, we're going to give it a little bit of time." And he comes back to the bottom of my ladder about 30 minutes later, and I'm so excited. I'm climbing down. I almost fall out because I'm shaking so bad. We're yeah. going to get back into falling out of tree stands when you're done with this. Times. Anyway, we get down, and I, we walked to where this doe was standing, and it was easy blood trail. I was using um, mechanical broadheads, like an inch and a half cutting diameter. They, they did a number on her. She ran about 60 yards, followed her right to my very first archery deer. And it, was a, it was a real nice mature doe off the Morrison farm. Couldn't have been more happy. And that was, besides Kansas, that was probably my favorite hunting experience. There's definitely something special about, you know, archery hunting in general. And I think everybody at the table that hunts would agree that probably archery hunting is probably our favorite. Yes, absolutely. 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 <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know, when I got, I still to this day, I've been hunting with a bow for over 10 years. And I have yet to even draw back on a doe. I'm strictly a big buck killer. How about that? 
I don't know why. I don't. I mean, I, I, just, I think I've only killed two with two I just, does I with my bow. There's just something about archery season, especially during the rut, when you see a doe in your mind. You're like, "There's a buck there's right a buck behind there. her." She's come, and a lot of time there is, but you know, most of the time, it's just that doe walks through. But but I'm just afraid to shoot and be like super pumped and like forget to knock an arrow. Well, and that happened sudden, to you. Remember your. We're not going to tell the whole story, but your archery buck, you shot that buck. You were so excited, you forgot to knock an arrow. Five minutes later, a doe walked through in the same exact spot. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. yeah and I was so excited. Yeah, I never even knocked an arrow. Well, that was my first archery kill and yeah. my first archery buck. He could have doubled down, but just, I guess, sometimes. I was out of cards in that deck, I guess. One time, I was deer hunting, and I get back to the truck go to unload my gun, open the bolt, and it uh, turns out there's no bolts in it. <laughs> never even loaded the I've gun. I've seen people a do that before. day out in the woods, and you never put your bullets in the gun. Yeah, you'll have that on these big jobs, but... Yeah, sometimes you will. So it happens to the best of us. After that long course, we have finally gotten Tom's favorite hunting memory. They're both great stories, the hunting and the fishing one. So, they have yep. and, but we're back to the main question. The Fun. write it in pen. Tom, you can't strike out on me again. This is the host hot seat with Tom Soboleski, and we need your write in pen. Well, I'm gonna right you, I'm giving you a little help from you guys. Do you guys want like a little motive? I mean, I you can do anything. My, basically, there my mind the way is I so full of great lots of knowledge that I could bestow upon you guys and the listeners. I don't know if you guys want. So this is like a, let me break hold it down on, for you. Hold on, hold on. I don't know if you guys want like a hunting tip, a trapping tip, a fishing tip, or if you just want some motivational thing to kind of that, like. That's where the beauty of amp you up. So it's like, whatever you, you want. But to, the idea of the write it in pen is something that you really believe in, that you maybe put towards your success in anything outdoors or life in general. Like if there's something you live by. That you think other people should hear about. You think everybody should know because it makes your life that much better. They or should write it in pen. Wet the quill and start writing. Well, that's very simple then. You got to do the work. When it comes to fishing, trapping, hunting, or even life, even life, you got to do the work. So hunting, I started out, I didn't know squat, but... After hours and hours and hours in the woods, I have a notebook where I write down um, my encounters, what time I saw them, what the weather was like, what the wind direction was like, what the moon phase was like, everything. I write down everything about that specific hunt, what I saw, if I harvested anything, and I compare that day to day to day to figure out, you know, what works the best. Same thing with fishing, you know, it's what the water conditions are like, what the weather's like, how fast the water's moving, what bait you're using. You got to keep track of all that. Nothing, I guess, as far as hunting and fishing and even life comes natural. You have to apply yourself. You have to be the best that you can be if you really want to succeed. And I think that's kind of important thing for our listeners to take away. But especially, I mean, this podcast is more focused on hunting and fishing and 
It's the outdoors. We bring people to the table while we talk about the outdoors. Entertainment for the outdoorsman. So, I mean, you can't just expect to go out into the woods, pick a tree that looks nice, hang a stand, and shoot a nice buck. Like it, it, that sounds a lot like my best buck. Yeah, well. You can't always do it. Some people no, do I, get I lucky. No, I agree. I have gotten lucky in the past, but. I mean, I spend. You need to put in the work. I agree, Tom. Over the summer, I mean, spotting, it's a lot of fun, but it's also. You know, figuring out it's where intel it's, for the fall. Yeah, for you're not just going season. out having fun driving around with yeah, your buddies. Yeah, most of the times we're spotting, we're spotting areas that we hunt. Pretty much all the time we spot. It's you know early on you're spotting to see what deer made it, and then as the year progresses, you know start getting late summer, you start trying to track a buck that you're interested in. I think that's kind of where a lot of our um, our season starts is you know with spotting and scouting before the year, and spotting is a big part of scouting. If I know there's actually a lot of states, I didn't realize this, but listening to other podcasts, there's a lot of states that it's illegal to spot, even in mm-hmm. the off-season. Yeah. So Pennsylvania, we're lucky enough that that is legal. In New York. In New York. So we can use that as a great uh, tool, scouting tool for that upcoming year. So like I said, me and Tom are out several nights a week spotting the areas, trying to figure out what's out in the area, what's what do we find something that we're – interested in shooting just the other night was probably a mile from our house we saw it was this eight point it was one of the most bizarre eight points i've ever seen it was it was what a five by three it was a five by three or six by two i can't remember it was it was very odd but it was well over 20 inches wide very i mean it was awesome to see that that but you can't spot during rifle season so we take rifle season off and then as soon as rifle season's over we start up again just seeing you know what made it through the season and just seeing that buck make it through the season was something really special because that was a mature buck that next year is going to be even better. And I like those squirrely bucks. Yeah, I'm some not, with a lot of character. I, mean, I definitely like shooting for an older age class, but those squirrely bucks just get me. I, I love those unique racks. I think I think you might get that from Dad. That How old is that, 49? Yeah, yeah, he's almost 50. Yeah. Almost never 50. shot a symmetrical deer. Never in his entire life, like even counting a spike. He's never shot a, a spike. Yeah, either a, <laughs> like that's what I'm a saying. Three point, yeah, a three point, a five point, a seven point, a nine point. He, he shot did. one eight point, and it had five on one side, three on the other. So yeah, he's he's never killed a symmetrical. Yeah, buck. like his two best bucks that he's got mounted. One's a seven point that's twenty inches wide. Twenty one. Sorry, I don't want to steal an inch. But uh, and then his big nine. Uh, that was field dressed to like 200 pounds, which is that was a stud, huge buck, and that was peak rut. So I mean, he had been running mm-hmm. and was at that weight. Yeah, there, um, there wasn't a. But yeah, so yeah, my must get it from him because, I mean, I've, I don't know, I just I always liked those unique looking racks. Yeah, so when it, I mean, if you're just out there meat hunting, you know that's fine. Go hang a tree stand where you can see a long distance, but, and go out there in rifle season. That's 100 percent fine if that's you know what you're into, but. Like me and Frank and Nick and basically all my family, if you're out there hunting, trying to get a mature deer, it's it's a year round, it's a year round thing. I mean, up at our farm up in New York, every other weekend we're up there in the summer planting corn, which is two hundred miles away. Yeah, corn, soybeans, clover, brassica. You name it. We're up there planting food plots, hanging new tree stands, trimming tree stands, working on trails, 
um, doing hinge cuts, you know, making it prime bedding, and it the work has definitely paid off. Usually every year, two or three people harvest a big mature whitetail. Pope and young class. Yeah. Every year. Which out of New York State is pretty remarkable. So, yeah. Well, Tom, thank you very much for that write it in pen. Uh, it's been a fun episode here. I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I've heard – all of your hunting stories but you know sometimes been a part of most of them yeah i've been a part of most of them agreed and but it's always good to go back and touch base on them because there is so many where you start to you know you forget about them until you start talking about them and uh i just want to leave it with tommy on that write it in pen that was a really good point and uh so basically anybody out there that's listening make sure that you guys are putting in the work and as always getting outside